and all of your goodness. You have come to us in blessing. You have come to us in Christ Jesus, your son. Uh, Lord, the greatest blessing the world has ever known. God among us, dying on a cross for the forgiveness of sin, rising to new life to be Lord of all. You've made us yours, Lord. You've gifted us with faith. You've drawn us to yourself. You've opened our eyes to see and to believe. And then, Lord, in that life, you just shower us with blessing. Time after time after time, day after day after day, more blessing than we can really recognize. And as your people are God, we just want to say thank you, especially today. Thank you for food, and thank you for family, and thank you for friends. Thank you for provision, Lord, the, the jobs that we have. Thank you for the country that we have, our God. Thank you for the guidance in our lives. Lord, the list is just so long. We are people today who are just so grateful for you and for what you have done for us. Now, Lord, we seek to be blessed again by hearing from you. Lord, we know this book, the Bible, inspired and true, is a gift of God to humanity. The book through which we come to know you and to know your mind and to know your heart. The book, Lord, through which you speak to us. Allowing us to know your will for our lives and allowing us to know that path of life. So, Lord, we, uh, we pray that in these moments that you will speak, that you will minister to each person here, that everyone will know the still small voice of God speaking into their heart and into their mind. God, bless us as you do so often. Lead us to a knowledge of your will for us, we pray. Our God, this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today is the second last of the four dynamics that we're going to be looking at in this series. Eternity is now in session. And you probably all know by now that uh, the, the, the focus of that series is that we don't have to wait and die to get, and go to heaven to know eternal life. It's something we know in the here and in the now. It's something that we can experience every single day just because we belong to the Lord. And today we're going to look at something called illumination. We've already looked at awakening, you know, when we first awaken to faith and then all the awakenings that can follow through the course of our lives. Last week, we looked at purgation. You know, when we come to faith, we ask the Lord to forgive us our sin, but then we keep doing that, and as we do it, the Lord then purges sin from our lives. We get rid of it. We move beyond it and find life. Today, illumination. Now, illumination is essentially this, seeing and thinking differently. Seeing and thinking differently. And for our purposes today, it's primarily seeing what God sees and thinking like him. Good starting point for everybody. I hope this will engage you in what I'm saying today is this. How much do you think, honestly, you see and think what God sees and thinks? To what degree is your thinking the same as God's in life? To what degree do your thoughts align with his? That's a bit of a powerful question, right? But it's a question we're going to look at today. I'm going to introduce this by using a political example, but do it in an entirely non-political way. That's my intention. And I want to talk about our neighbors to the south, the United States. A very, very polarized country, right? People thinking very differently from one another. Where people think 
in strong terms about what they think politically, but one party versus another party, very different. They're polarized. You know, there are some who hear and see Donald Trump, and they cannot for the life of them understand why he thinks what he thinks. They just can't. They, they don't know where he's coming from. It doesn't make sense to them, the things that he is saying. Of course, they don't agree. And then on the other side of the aisle, as they say in the States, there are those who do celebrate Donald Trump and his thinking. And, and they can't understand the others who can't embrace that. And we have people who are diametrically opposed in terms of approach, in terms of thinking, to one another. They see what they see, but they can't think what the other thinks. Now, this somewhat illustrates what's being described here today. And I think maybe I could centralize, or if I would, illustrate further this whole discussion by holding this up before you. There are maskers and there are anti-maskers, right? Even in our own country. There are people who will wear a mask because of the reasons that they have for doing so, and they don't understand why other people wouldn't wear the mask. And then there are people who refuse to wear a mask, and they don't understand why people would. It's just an expression of that political divide, if you would, at least in terms of how people might think. Dramatically different pers pers perspectives on the same topic, not understanding the opposite position. And in some ways, this illustrates for us what illumination is all about. Because, as we'll see as we unpack today, for the most part, humanity is on one side of a divide and God's on the other. We think our thoughts and God thinks his. And I'm telling you, my friends, very, very often they are not the same thoughts. Ultimately, what illumination is, is coming for people who know and trust Christ to see what God sees, to think what God thinks, and ultimately to live as he wants us to live. Now, how are we going to dig into this one? We're going to go back to Matthew 16, Peter's incredible declaration of Jesus. This was mentioned a few weeks ago uh, briefly. This is a high point in the gospel of Matthew. It's, it's an incredible moment. What Peter speaks of Jesus is absolutely true. He's come to believe this in his heart. And we're going to read it again, and we're going to learn about what follows <clears throat> through this and, and, and the next passage that we're going to, to, to look at, and we're going to discover what illumination truly <clears throat> is all about. So let me read Matthew 16. We're from the English Standard Version, verse 13, all the way to verse 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they say, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood was, has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound on earth, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Great moment in the life of Jesus. Great moment in the life of Peter. 
um, great moment because Jesus goes beyond this statement of Peter's and he promises to build his church and nothing will stop that from happening. God is at work and God will continue to be at work. He gives the keys to the, of the kingdom to his apostles, listen, to unlock and open the door for people to enter into the kingdom. They're the means by which this might happen from this point forward. But then what follows is especially what I want us to think about today in terms of illumination. Listen to this, 16, 21 to 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man, of humanity. Now, that's a, this is a remarkable thing that we've just read. I want, I want you to think about it for a little while. Peter has just said to Jesus, you are the son of God. And then moments later, he says, you are God, but you are wrong about the cross. Do you hear that? He says to Jesus, you are God, but you're wrong. It's a remarkable moment when you think about it. it, it, it it's, it's sort of like, where is he coming from in this? But the reality is what he needs is illumination. To see things differently. Even as someone who has come to believe in Jesus. I want you to think about this. It is possible to believe the right things about Jesus, but not think like him. Anybody here in that boat? Anybody here thinking that might be a possibility for them? You know, it's possible, as this text says, to set our minds on the things of men and of women of humanity, but not to set our minds on the things of God. Now, of course, we need to believe the right things. You don't get to where Peter got to in believing as Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God unless you believe the right things. We don't get to believe in Christ and to be part of the kingdom unless we know the right stuff about Jesus. But we also find, have to find out where our thinking is contrary to that of God so that we might change our thinking and then ultimately submit to God and his will in our lives. That, to me, is a powerful reality for those who want to grow deep in faith, for those who want their lives transformed into the image of Jesus. Now, there's something very stark that Jesus says to Peter. I've read it to you. And if it hasn't impacted you, allow it to impact you now. Jesus calls Peter Satan. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> what Jesus is saying is that Peter is aligning himself with the evil one. That, that, that in his discouragement of Jesus to go to the cross, he's speaking in a way that the devil would speak. He's speaking in a way that would dissuade Jesus from doing the very thing that he came into this world to do, to bring eternal life to those who would believe in him. It's remarkable. I want to bring to you another stark reality. And it's challenging. And it is this. It is possible to have faith but that that faith not be a saving faith. Do you believe that? Let me read to you James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. And it says, 
What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. (laughs) Now, I hope that sits sits you back a little bit. That's a remarkable thing as well. It's stark. You see, it's possible to believe the right thing, But without works, as he says here, without evidence of faith, it isn't real. It isn't living. It is, to use James' word, dead. Non-existent, if you would. Because real faith, my friends, transforms a life. And we, like Peter, often need to be confronted, as Peter was, to see how we are out of step with God's thinking so as to align ourselves with the Lord in his thinking, in his seeing, and ultimately then in our living. That is faith that saves. Now, I'm going to give another illustration to you here, which I think is kind of fun. Um, And it describes part of the dynamic, dynamic that I'm speaking of here. I want to show you on our screens a map of the world. Um, Prior to seeing this map, don't put it up yet, guys. I'll cue you, okay? Prior to seeing this map, I had seen the map of the world hundreds, if not thousands of times. You're probably in the same boat. You know, from elementary school and geography class, we're taught where Canada is and where Europe is and where Africa is and where India is, etc., etc., etc. We've all seen the map of the world hundreds of times, I would imagine. But I wonder if you've ever seen this map. Let's look at it. Now, I know the writing is small, but I want you to wrap your mind around what you see. What we have on the bottom left is Canada. On the bottom right is Russia. On top, middle, Australia. Way over on the left, on the top, South America, Brazil. You can see that clearly. What you have is a map of the world from the perspective of the Southern Hemisphere. (laughs) You're engaged in this map as I was the first time I saw it. It's like, whoa, what? I've never seen a map like that. But does that describe the reality of our world from a different perspective to what we're used to? I would suggest to you that it does. And if you were living in Australia, this might be the map of the world that you grew up with. I don't know. But they exist, these maps from the Southern Hemisphere, for a reason. And I want to tell you, my friends, as we look at that map, we are forced to think differently, aren't we? We are really forced to see something as we've never seen it before. To get our head around it. And to understand what some people's perspective of the map of the world actually looks like. Essentially what it's doing is turning the map of the world upside down. That's all. Now I want you to think about this. This is what I think we're being taught here. We have to think so differently. We have to see things not as human beings see things, but as God sees things. Think of the disciples. They live with Jesus for these three years. They learn from him so as to become like him. And think about how they kept seeing things they hadn't seen before. For example, 
God loves Samaritans too. It's turning things upside down. Jesus, why are you talking to that Samaritan woman? It doesn't make sense to me. And all of a sudden they were being challenged to see people, all people, as God saw people. Think about Peter this, in the same way, going to the house of Cornelius later on, and he recognized that the Spirit of God was at work, and he recognized that the gospel was not just for Jews, it was for Gentiles as well. Everybody. And it turned his map upside down. He had to struggle to see things differently, to see things as God saw them. Think about this one. God can take the very little gifts which we offer to them, things that seem insignificant to us, and make them incredibly significant. Loaves and fishes becoming something massive. But it's just little, Jesus. It's almost nothing. You can't do any... Wait a minute. Map of the world gets turned upside down, and also, all of a sudden, something that is small and insignificant becomes something incredible in the hand of God. What about this one? God is more powerful than a storm. Think of Jesus asleep in the back of the boat, the disciples fighting for their lives. In the middle of a storm, the storm seems oh so powerful. The storm is literally overwhelming them. They think they're going to die. Jesus is wakened up and he speaks and the storm is quiet. Jesus is more powerful than a storm. Right? We don't need to be afraid anymore. We have Christ with us. How about this one? Greatness is not defined as having position over others and authority over others so that they might serve us. Greatness is defined by the washing of people's feet. Greatness is defined by taking on the role of servant and out of love, caring for people. It takes the whole thing and it turns it upside down. It turns it on its head. And you see, in each of these, my friends, we have got to recognize the reality that we once saw things in one particular way, but we need to change. We need to allow new light to come into our eyes, if you would, so that we can see things differently, so that we can understand the way God thinks, so that we can think like him too. And I want to tell you, we need to be enabled to see. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18 says this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. Note that. Darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now, how are we born? <laughs> in darkness. We don't see what God sees. We don't think as God thinks. It's like we're blind in so many realms of life and we need to come to this place of having illumination in our experience so that we can see what the Lord sees. Ephesians 1, 16, Paul writing these things, of course. And this is written to Christian people, 16 to 18. <clears throat> he says this, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. 
See, what did Paul pray for believing people? That God would enlighten us so that we might see what we needed to see. So my friends, we all need illumination in our lives. We all need to certainly believe in Jesus, but beyond that and throughout the course of our lives with Christ, we need illumination in order to think like God, having seen what he has come to, what he, what he sees. This applies to so much in life. You know, I think of, of some of the lessons we learned when we studied the Sermon on the Mount. What a powerful passage that is. But our thinking as human beings about wealth, darkened in our understanding, what is it, what does it, what's the difference between what God thinks and what we think? Well, according to Jesus, we're not supposed to love it, and often we do. We're not supposed to live it, we're not supposed to hoard it. What did Jesus say? Open your eyes, understand, think like me. Rather than loving it, love God. Rather than living for it, live for the kingdom. Rather than hoarding it, give it away. It's the world turned upside down. How about relationships and how to do them? Well, there are many people <clears throat> who basically say, you know, I need to get everything I can get out of this relationship. You know, I need to have what I, what, and, and benefit from this relationship. What does Jesus say? Submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus, the one who gave up his life for the church out of love. It's on its head. What about questions of morality? Oh my goodness, sexuality? How the world is living in darkness in, in this realm of understanding? How tr dramatically different the world sees sexuality and, and what's appropriate and what is right and what is good compared to what God sees and what God thinks? in terms of how and where sexuality is to be experienced and expressed. How about some of those hot-button issues in our society, abortion and euthanasia, questions of life and questions of death? I'm telling you, the world is a way of looking at this in their darkened understanding, and there's the way that God thinks about this, and they are very different perspectives, dramatically so. And my friends, it is for us to seek the mind of God. It is for us to get into the presence of the Lord and allow the Spirit of God to open our eyes so that we can see what God sees and to think as God thinks, to move us from darkness to light, to help us to understand his mind. What about the purpose of your life? Last fall we did, the, I believe, that series on the five core needs in a believer's life. One of them is purpose. Have you figured out what your purpose is? Most people, whether they recognize it or not, live for what they believe they exist for. But what we learned in that series is that the primary purpose of our lives is to know and love God. That was the Adam and Eve story. That's why they were created, to know and love God. But then sin came into the world and took that away, and then Jesus came into the world to restore it. The purpose of our lives is to be in relationship with the Lord. I want to tell you, my friends, once we come to that understanding, then we recognize that a secondary purpose is to build the kingdom of God because it is we who have the keys to the kingdom. We are the ones who can open the door and usher people in. We join Jesus in what he's doing in this world. That is our purpose for existence as a church and as individual people. 
Final point to you this morning, my friends. Once illumination comes to us, and this comes through studying scripture more than anything else. It comes from digging deep into the Bible. It comes from listening to sermons. It comes from, you know, reading commentaries to truly understand what the text is saying. It comes from listening to podcasts and some of the greatest teachers in the world are live or or they're online. Access is there. By the work of the Holy Spirit, we come to see what God sees. I want to tell you it's a deeply spiritual experience which is accomplished only by God when he takes away the darkness and he shines his light into our lives and we start to think like he thinks because we see what he sees. But once we come to know what God thinks, it is then for us to yield to God in terms of what he has revealed to us. Now, this isn't always an easy thing. It's like looking at that map upside down and you go, what? (laughs) Think about Peter. You know, this man who represented Satan in Jesus' life and, and sought to turn him away from the thing that God was calling him to. Think of Peter in Gethsemane. When the, G, the, 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 the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, what does Peter do? Takes out his sword and he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. He's still ready to fight so that Jesus doesn't have to go to the cross. It takes time. But in the end of the day, what we need to do is when the Lord shows us what he sees so that we can see what he sees and we start to think the thoughts of God after him, it is for us to yield to God, to place the Lord and his thoughts above our own thoughts. And ultimately, to take, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, every thought captive to Christ. So much so that our lives are transformed. You know, ultimately, we are to lay down our lives to live for Jesus because of what he enables us to think. And it's no coincidence that Jesus carries on in Matthew 16. If you want to be my disciple, he says, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Not only did Peter have to embrace the idea of the cross for Jesus, he had to be willing to die on the cross for Jesus. You see, I want to suggest to you today, my friends, this is how our lives change. This is how we go from a superficial understanding of faith, you know, where we have come to believe in Jesus but haven't taken it too much farther, to really digging deep and, 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 and allowing the truth of God, the enlightenment of God, the work of the Spirit of God to change our lives as he lets us see what he sees, enables us to think what he thinks so that we can ultimately yield our lives to him in obedience based on what he has done. I'm going to go to, again to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 to 10. It says this. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord, my friends. Make it a focus in your life to get beyond thinking as humans think so that we can embrace the thoughts of God. And you know what's being suggested in this series? This is eternal life. This is a big part of what what it means to be living eternal life 
in this world at this time, time after time after time again, by the word of God, through the work of the spirit of God, our eyes are open to see what God sees and to think as he thinks. And then in obedience and faith, we yield to his will for us. Here's the point. You don't have to wait until you die to know what God thinks. And you don't have to wait till you die in order to live that life fully yielded to Jesus by faith. You know, this is an absolutely amazing thing. And I want to tell you this, and I want you to hear this. It is for this, at least in part, that Jesus went to the cross. So that we could see what God sees. So that we could think the thoughts of God after him. So that we could then allow our lives to be transformed by the word of God, by the work of the Holy Spirit, that we might be changed forever. And the fact that God is willing to reveal to us what he revealed to Peter, if you would, so that we might align our thinking and our lives with him is an absolutely amazing thing because what it leads us to is true, eternal, can I put it this way, living. It is living the life that eternity brings to us. It is what Jesus called the abundant life, the best life a human being can know. So I want to challenge us all today. <clears throat> I want us to think about this. Number one, will we seek a knowledge of the mind of God? Will we make that a priority in our lives? Not just something peripheral, not just something that we might pick up along the way, but we will, will we give ourselves to seeing what God sees and thinking his thoughts after him? Putting ourselves in that place, if you would, whether it's on a Sunday morning, whether it's at home with your Bible and you're studying it, you know, whether it's a devotional experience, whether it's listening to some of these great teachers that I've mentioned, the best teachers in the world you can listen to this afternoon. Will we give ourselves to seeking the mind of God? Will we do it in humility? Recognizing, you know what? This thought that I have might not be God's thought. It might be a leftover from the darkness from which I have come as I've been transformed into his kingdom. Will we seek with passion the thoughts, the mind, the perspective of God? I want to tell you, my friends, what a blessing it is that we might know these things, that we might see these things, and that we, listen, that we might think the thoughts of God after him. I challenge you. Make this a focus. Make this intentional. Do this purposefully. And in the end, you will think like God. And God willing, by his grace, you will yield your lives time after time after time to his will. And you will discover that life, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that you might know. Let's pray. Lord, we really are blessed people. We are the people who come into your presence, and we are the people like Peter who at times are confronted by the Spirit of the Lord Jesus. And we are made aware that we are not thinking the thoughts of God, but the thoughts of man, the thoughts of women, the thoughts of humanity. 
And Lord, we gather here today as people of faith, and we do believe, so many of us, that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, the Messiah, the, the Holy One sent from God to save. But we recognize, Lord, that in many ways we need to see what you see in a way that we don't right now. And God, our prayer is that you would let us see through the enlightening of our minds, to use the Ephesians word, by the work of your Holy Spirit, let us see things as you see them. And then, Lord, allow us to think your thoughts so that we might truly be transformed, so that we might become the people that you long for us to become. Because, Lord, there it is we will find life like in no other place. So gracious God, in humility, we open ourselves to you today. We ask you to work in this way. We pray that as we study scripture, as we hear scripture taught, that Lord, by your spirit, you will point out to us time after time after time what you want us to see and know. And Lord, as you do so, we will commit ourselves in faith and in obedience to yielding our lives to you. Lord, in this we see your goodness at work. And it is this which we long for. So God, accomplish this in us, we pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.